We forget sometimes that, that, that David, who wrote most of the Psalms, a man after God's own heart, sanctioned murder. That Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, sanctioned murder. We, we forget that, that God uses people that many in society would throw away, gladly throw away, redeems them and, and puts them on, on, on mission for a glorious purpose of introducing to a Savior who says there are no lost causes. And so we want to be a church that speaks about those things and cares deeply about those things. But as it relates to our, our sermon for today, perhaps some of us are in, in a space where we're like, we, I believe strongly that there should be stronger sentences, that there should be people that should be, that should be locked up. We should see more police. I mean, I, I'm not in a position to say that you need to say or believe what I say. And that, that's the beauty of what the church is supposed to be about is we're not gathering in a space saying we believe all the same things outside of who Jesus is, right? And so I don't know if, you, if you've been watching the news, and I hope most of you can see this, but you've been watching the news, but we're reminded again and again through the news cycle that we live in a very polarized society. What it means is it's either this or it's this, right? So a few categories, right? You, we live in a society where you're either red or you're blue, right? And, and really, if we're thinking about it, it's red versus blue. This is not... This is not, there's not a spectrum. It's either you're on this side or you're on this side. Or it's, it's, it's black versus white, right? We hear, these, we hear these, these conversations happening around us. I mean, just, just putting it in sort of a funny, funny conversation to remind us it's, it's, it's Yankees <laughs> versus the haters, right? I'm just telling you what the way it sounds, right? I mean, you could put you could put Patriots. I mean, it could go on forever and ever. There, it's it's men versus women, right? We we live in a society that puts that puts us in these versus categories. It's it, it's honestly conversations that I'm learning about. It's it's Puerto Rico versus the Dominican Republic. It's it's Dominican Republic versus Haiti. Right? We have these conversations. There are these, these factions, these, these sides that we take. It's, it's the police versus the community. Right? These are the conversations. These are the sides we cannot... It's the, it's the gentrifier... I'm going to put that word wrong, I guarantee. Versus the gentrified. Right? These are the categories, right? And there's others. Rich and poor, right? You, we, we know them. There's all sorts of, yeah, the rich versus the poor, right? There's all these, these categories that we think we fall in. And if we're not careful, we, we put ourselves in this category and we're at enmity. We're against this side. <clears throat> Taking sides, talking down, being suspicious, judgmental of these different people on these different sides. And in the midst of this, God has invited us to, to provide a different way. To provide a different way. In the midst of this, my, my favorite verse, and this relates even to the idea, I, literally a summation of this verse is tattooed on my arm that describes for us that, that God has invited us 
because of what Jesus has substituted himself for us. But if that verse, 2 Corinthians 5.29, falls in terms of this, this invitation from God to anyone who calls himself a Christ follower, not, not a select few, not, not a certain few that say, I'm the super Christian. No, anyone who the Spirit of God rests in is given this invitation from God comes to us from 2 Corinthians verses 18 through 20. And it says this, And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. For God in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Now, this is the word, this is the section that that always just strikes me so profoundly. God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. And that appeal is come back to God. Come back to God. I don't know where, again, where you fall today in terms of these these camps or these categories, and that's not the issue because, again, when the world looks in at the church, what they ought to see is that there are people on different sides that we're going to look at today, different sides that are willing to be in the same space because Jesus has brought us together. It's not that I love the same sports team. It's not that I'm from the same country. It's not that I have the same skin color. It's that we're together because of Jesus. And we're going to look at what that means and how that works. Because to be God's community means to be a community that pursues and promotes and is about reconciliation. In a world filled with division, we want to practice what we preach. And this is the point. We can't offer the hope of peacemaking and reconciliation if we're not practicing it together. This community ought to be the incubator, the place where we work it out together so that we can collectively offer a better hope, a stronger narrative of unity found in God to a world that is so divided. And so just to define our terms, reconciliation simply means to restore friendly relations between two individuals or to cause to coexist in harmony, to exist in harmony. And so what we're going to talk about today is how do we become a reconciling church? How do we become a reconciling church? Or another way to think about this is what does it mean to build community God's way? To build community God's way. And so a couple of things I want to say at the start before I pray. The first is that you all have excelled in welcoming my family into this space. It has been beautiful to watch that you all, I don't come from a place of recovery. By God's grace, that has never been a struggle or an issue in my life. I thank God for that. I have never experienced being marginalized because of my skin color. I have never experienced long bouts of poverty in my life. And yet you all have welcomed my family, not just me, but my kids and my wife into this space. That is a demonstration of the work that has already been happening in this space about what reconciliation work is about. 
And I can understand, having been in other spaces where suspicion is raised because of my skin color, because of the clothes that I wear, because of where I live, all those things, people are suspicious or hesitant to, to welcome me in, and I understand those things. I'm not here to judge those sp positions and those spaces and those responses. But in the midst of perhaps those real feelings that people have, you all have welcomed me, and I'm grateful for that. Secondly, and it's weird I have to say this, but to those that are going to be listening to this message online at some point, I'm speaking to Recovery House of Worship. I'm not speaking to a general group of people, general ideas about what reconciliation works, how it works. I'm talking to the people of Recovery House of Worship. And so if you're listening online, you need to recognize that this reconciliation might work, might look and sound different in your context, in your situation, in your church. I'm speaking to a people that I love dearly that I'm fellowshipping with in this space. Lastly, this is a huge topic. And I was wrestling, I, Pastor Evan and I are going back and forth, I was wrestling. There's a lot of material here, and I'm, I'm trusting that God is going to give wisdom direction on what to say and what not to say. But what I want you to understand is that this is not going to solve all of our problems. This is the beginning of a conversation. This is the beginning of a conversation. And what I want us to recognize on, on that note is all of us are going to get uncomfortable today. All of us are going to get uncomfortable today. Because to be reconciled means we all need to move to the middle towards Jesus. And so I want to pray for us towards that end that in the discomfort that we meet God and trust that he'll teach us. And so Jesus, we just entrust again that you'd meet us and teach us beyond anything I've prepared that you would speak loud and clear that I'd simply be your broken earthen vessel to bring about glorious truths about who you are and what you offer. Meet us, teach us, guide us, and move us from not just hearing words, but putting these words into practice because a world is watching and a world of need, of brokenness, of division exists that we step out into. Help us to be reconcilers. Meet us now, we pray. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. What does it mean to build community God's way? The first thing is we're thinking about this, and our text for today comes from, I'm going to invite us to stand. Our text for today, I forgot to be, put that slide, I think, right? I don't have the slide for us. I don't think I have the slide. I think I forgot to put the verses in. So I'll just read us the text. Our text for today is Ephesians 2. Oh, it is? Yeah, there we go. Nice. I did have it. Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 21. Ephesians 2, 11 to 21. And so we stand in, in attention because, again, this is the authoritative word of God that speaks to us in the midst of all our situations. So it says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised by those who themselves the circumcised, which is done by human hands. In his own body on the cross, he broke down the walls of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. I think that might be it. Yeah. So I'll just read the rest for us, continue to stand. This is the rest of the, the verses just to guide us into what we're going to be saying, to, looking at today. 
is this recognition that God's word wants to speak to us. So continuing verse 15, it says this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people who in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And this cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. This is God's word. You may be seated. And so how do we build this community? How do we build a community that reflects the reconciling work of God, bringing people together under Jesus? The first thing is we need to know ourselves. We need to know ourselves. As Paul's writing this letter, he's, he's, he's writing this letter. And so just to give you a sense of how the Bible works, Paul is writing these letters most of them in prison, to a bunch of churches that he's helped to start. And so he's sending this letter off with some instructions that God has laid on his heart to bring back to them, to encourage them as they continue to build the church. But he's writing it, and as it's being sent off, it's sent into a group of people who are in one of three categories, much like the situation we find ourselves in today. One, there are Gentile believers. And that just literally means, Gentile means the nations, non-Israelites. So all the nations, there are many from all different nations and tribes and tongues who are coming to Jesus, meeting him and being introduced to the community of God. Then there are Jewish believers, those who are following in, in the ways of Israel, continuing to be faithful to the laws and rules and regulations they knew to be good and true and wise to protect them and guard them in the ways of good that God had set out for them. And now they've come to meet Jesus. And recognizing those things are good, but what they need is Jesus. And then there are unbelievers. On any Sunday, at any moment, as the church is gathered, there are those who are checking us out. And perhaps that's you today. Unsure of where you stand with Jesus. Unsure of what it means to walk with him, to know him, to live for him. And that's good. We're glad you're here. And so there's these three camps, these three categories of people, but it's important that as we think about what it means to be reconcilers, to work, to work towards harmony, we need to know ourselves first. Because, again, in the realities that we face, the situations we find ourselves in, one of the things that will erode, that will do away with, that will diminish how we view ourselves is that we view ourselves by how other people see us or we will define ourselves by what we do. And both of those things erode a proper understanding of who we are. The first is we, we live by how other people describe us. Because again, what's happening in this text, and there, and there are tensions that are going on in the early church. We watch this happening in the book of Acts. 
where there are Jewish believers, Israelites, and then there are Gentile believers who are, who are walking together and they find themselves in all these difficult situations around food, around clothing, around how to do worship, about, about whole, high holy days, all these things that became foundational parts of Israel, of the way they guarded and protected themselves as a, as a means of showing that they were under God, now came into conflict with these surrounding cultures. But again, what was happening in verse 11 particularly is that these Jewish leaders found, them pla- found themselves in places of pride, standing over other people. Because again, what it says here in verse 11, it's, I love the way, again, I appreciate the way that verse 11 is describing this. It says the uncircumcised heathens. When they're saying uncircumcised, this wasn't a way of describing something that they had not done religiously. It was a way of de- de- deriding these people. So again, I couldn't resist saying this. It literally wasn't, it was a skin problem, right? Some of you know where I'm going. It was a skin problem, but it was just that they didn't have enough. They had too much of it, right? But we deal with this in our culture now, a skin problem, right? We segment people based on the color of their skin. And so there was the Israelites who were saying, hey, I have a little less skin than you, so I'm a little more holy. And they were missing the entire point. The point of circumcision was not that circumcision made you holy. It was that circumcision reminded you of a God who is faithful to keep his promises. So lest you forget, remember the sacrifice you made that said, I'm going to trust in the Lord. In the Lord. The Gentiles had, had been watching the, the, the way that God had provided for Israel, the ways he had done powerful things and guarded and protect them. But instead of the Israelites looking at those things as God's faithfulness, they looked at themselves as a way of being separate in a way that they thought of themselves as better than other people. Instead of inviting the nations and their neighbors into this relationship with God, they often found themselves segregating, separating, and degradation, degrading. You are less than human. That's the way that many of these Israelite leaders had fallen into the trap of thinking. It's because we have these things, we have these structures, we have this relationship with God. You are less than human. You are less than us. They had fallen into the trap of thinking that because of their ethnicity, their lineage, they were somehow special to God. Now, as a side, God continually undoes this in the scriptures. One such story to remind you for just later to park your mind in terms of how God is constantly undoing this thinking is Rahab. A Gentile prostitute is not only brought into relationship with the Israelites, but is brought into the lineage of the Savior. Lest we think that it was always just about God segmenting and separating a people, a very distinct ethnicity. God was constantly showing them, because Abraham is the promise. Remember, Abraham's promise was that God would open the heavens for all nations. That was the promise that Abraham was trusting in. Not that a little tiny group of somehow unique people living in a small geographical area was going to be the way in God, which God worked. It said that all nations, in fact, Galatians 3.8, the promise of the gospel for Abraham was that one day one of his descendants would open heaven for all people. All people. 
regardless of race, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of geographic location. Abraham was hoping in that thing, in that promise. Perhaps some of the Gentiles, though, as they watched, they were being treated as if they were less than human. And as you know, if you are constantly treated and, and talked about as if you're less than human, the problem is you can start to believe it. You aren't nothing, you aren't nothing, you aren't nothing. You're never going to be nobody. You're always going to be this way. You're always going to struggle this way. You're, you're never going to amount to anything. You, you, you don't belong here. All these things that we continue to hear again and again and again, we can find ourselves believing the bad news about ourselves. To be reconcilers means that we need to believe a different narrative about who we are being told so long that we need to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and watched as a culture teaches and perpetuates and shows us, models a very different reality for some of us. Remember, we're not who others say we are. For some of us, that's that. if you get nothing else from this message practically today, remember you're not who other people say you are. But there was also the reality of the Israelites. And so for many of us, not only is it this dual reality, and I talked with Pastor Evan, but we live in a strange space because we, we work and we live and we minister among people who are both oppressed and can find ourselves moving into places of privilege. Moving into places of privilege, right? Even poverty, this understanding of poverty and how most of the world lives on less than $1 a day. And so if we have $1 a day and if we have a meal in front of us and we have a, an option of clothing to wear, we find ourselves in places of privilege. We have more than massive majority of the world. So God, again, was having to remind the Israelites that the way that you were treating and seeing people was because you had somehow thought that because of the things you're doing, the things that you have, that somehow made you special. It's fascinating, again, in verse 11, when Paul is talking about this idea of circumcision, he says, circumcision done by the hand of man. And what that would have done for the Israelites is, oh, dang. Because what it reminded them of was made by human hands. Anyone got an idea what he might have been getting at? Idolatry. God's made with human hands. They had somehow thought that it was the circumcision that was what made them holy and forgot that, no, it was God who makes you holy. It was God who makes you holy. They were making an idol out of the rules, putting the rules in a place that made them think that they were better that they were doing things that somehow made them special to God. It was not the rule-keeping that made them special to God. It has always been God's grace. Always been God's grace. Through the scriptures again and again, we see that what God tells them is, it wasn't because I picked you because you were somehow special. It wasn't because of your physical location. It wasn't because of the color of your skin. It was my grace. My grace. 
And so many of us maybe struggle with this idea of like rule keeping. How, how does this put me in a space of pride and looking down at others? Well, in Recovery House, if we're going to offer reconciliation, we have to know ourselves and how this seeps into our thinking. And it's, it's interesting that, that Pastor Edwin talked about the history because we can fall into this thinking of thinking I'm somehow special in this space because I've been here from the beginning. I've been here from the beginning. Right? So y'all better show me some respect because I've been here from the beginning. <laughs> or I live in this space. I literally live in this space. So y'all better show me some respect because I live in this space. Do you live in this space? I serve every Sunday. What about y'all? I serve at the pantry. I am a greeter. I am, and we fill in the blanks. And we somehow think that that puts me in a separate category in God's eyes. And if it puts me in a separate category in God's eyes, then often it can put me in a separate category of thinking about other people because I put myself above other people. I think I'm better. Now, this is not to say that service and prioritizing and being involved are not important things, but none of these things change the way God sees me or, or treats me. We believe all of us in the finished work Jesus, the finished work of Jesus. I make an idol of ministry and my experience, and I put others down because I look at my stuff, and I think, it's my stuff that makes God love me. It's my devotion to my Bible time. I, I, do, the, I do three minutes at home in quiet time, right? <laughs> I, I read the Bible in six months. I mean, these are great. These are not bad things, but God's not looking like, well, I love you a little more now, so you know. These people, I mean, but they better keep their act together. But None of us earn one single thing with God. Jesus did it for us. Jesus did it for us. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And so the invitation is to remember, again, remember there's three categories. There was a the category of Gentile believers. Remember, don't live like other people describe you and define you. You come into the space and you, you're from Puerto Rico or you're from the islands or you're from African descent and you've been told you are nothing, you are less, you are not as good, you're not as qualified, you're not as acceptable. And God's like, no, no, no. Some of us come into this space and think, well, I serve and I participate. I've been a Christian forever. I've had 20 years clean time. I've had, you know, 40 years clean time. I've, been, I've never had touched a drug. I've never, I mean, all good. None of that is what brings us into right relationship with God. So we need to know ourselves. But lastly, the section, maybe you're here today and you feel like you're a nobody. You've been pushed aside and talked down to and told you're nothing, told there's no space for you, told that because of where you live or your experiences or your struggles that you are somehow a less than human being. And you feel like there is no hope for me. There is hope for you in Jesus. There is hope for you in Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't look at the appearance. He looks at the heart. And a person who says, you know what, Jesus, I can't fix myself. I can't follow the rules. I can't clean myself up by myself. Jesus says, that's why I came. That's why I came, and that's who I came for. 
So how am I living thinking that I'm better than others? I need to ask, because again, to be a reconciler is to first start with repentance. Because if I'm approaching people from a place of pride and standing above them, I'm not building harmony. Versus, right? Am I against you or am I with you? Am I against you or even in the midst of us, in our, or am I for you? Who do I need to change my thinking about? Am I living like what I've done somehow makes me more special? My accomplishments, my title. Maybe I need to repent of how I've looked at a different ethnicity. I've made assumptions and judgments about someone's financial situation, about someone's skin color, about someone's gender, about what they can and can't do, about who they are and aren't. I need to repent of those things. Consider what God wants us to see from his perspective. It's about knowing this and seeing ourselves more clearly that we can move towards being a community that's built God's way. But secondly, it's not just this. And this is why, again, this idea of building community God's way requires that we trust him. Because what we do is not just that we look down on each other and hold ourselves up based on our religious experience, on the way we live our lives, but there's also like practices and rituals and culture that we put in the way of others. Okay? And so this is what Paul is getting at in the second section. And so when I think about it, this in terms of the idea of how we do this, and this comes from some really good teaching in schools and the way that the diversity is starting to work itself out in public schools. And they think about this idea of windows and mirrors. People from other cultures want to step into a situation and be able to look in and feel like they're represented. And they want to have their values mirrored back to them, right? But we live in a culture that puts up walls and says, I separate myself. It's either you're for the Yankees or you're not. You know, either you're from Puerto Rico or you're not, right? And so we need to have these conversations say, I'm putting up walls that say I'm separate from you. But instead of walls, we need to put up windows. Windows. Instead of walls, we need to put up windows. I, I hate the new buildings in our, in our city as it's all these new high-rises going up. I hate the ones where the whole side of the building is just nothing but brick, right? Because it just looks like this, I mean, it looks like a fortress. Like you're building a fortress to be protected from whatever you think is going on outside. And I know that's, it's a structural thing, it's an engineering thing, but this is how it looks, right? It's how it looks. And that's how we can start to build our lives, walls around us. And so, again, as Paul's describing, he says in these verses, he says this idea of he breaks down the rules and regulations, the commandments. I think it's later on for us in verses 15, 14 and 15. Is this idea of breaking down the walls and commandments. What he's not saying is I'm doing away with the Ten Commandments. He's not saying that. Because the Ten Commandments continue to define the life that God has for us. In fact, Jesus amps up the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount saying, you have said, and yet I say. Deeper commitment to what the Ten Commandments invite us to do. Not as a way to earn right standing, but as a way of what it, what it means to actually live in union with God, in love with God. 
But instead, what he's saying is there's these other things, these other things. Rules and regulations about food, ceremonial laws, ways of dress. I mean, I already said earlier, tattoos, right? In Leviticus, there was, a, there was a description about not tattooing your body. The point of it was that there were surrounding cultures that tattooed themselves as a way of ritualistic worship, right? That said that these are the, I'm, I'm literally harming my body in the, home that, in the hopes that God will accept me through my, through my martyrdom, through the ways that I'm hurting myself. I don't think anyone, I mean, if, you're, if you got a tattoo, including myself today, I don't think anyone in culture today says that that's what we're doing. We're not going and saying, like, I'm somehow flailing myself in some kind of, like, ritualistic experience. Now, if you are, we need to have that conversation. But generally, generally, that's not the way people approach tattoos today. But there was there's this idea that continues, right, that we segment and separate ourselves by saying, this is permissible and this is not permissible. And either you're for me in this permissiveness or you're not. And God's like, we need to have a conversation about what, look, what love looks like in the midst of these differences. Jesus came to create one new humanity. But again, what's beautiful about this, particularly with this idea, is sometimes what people think about when God's talking about this idea of reconciliation and harmony is that God thinks that really what he's doing is bringing these things to, together. And we've already heard this conversation, right? If you've been reading the news, is like, oh, there's purple states, right? It's a mix of Democrats and Republicans. God's not about creating a purple color. He's about creating a new thing. And that new thing is saying, what I want to do is learn to see the humanity in our differences. The humanity in our differences. Again, I wanted to drop down into this again because it's the, the commandments and regulations that we think ought to drive us in this idea of walls and windows. I, I led a church for years where a number of uh, Spanish-speaking folk came out of very strict, conservative, Pentecostal, Catholic traditions. And so these men and women would show up in dresses and suits. And I, I've gone back and forth even about like how pastors should dress because um, Jesus wore like a daishiki and so like I'm, he was not a professional wearing a tie so I'm, I'm always going back and forth about that. But they came into the space where it's like super conservative, everything like women wear dresses, men wear suits, straight laced all the time doing that stuff and they didn't experience that in our church, right? And so they started to get a little uncomfortable and then I started having a conversation with, they were told like you can't dance. Like dancing is of the devil. And for some of you, that, you think that's crazy, right? You literally think that's insane. Some of you experience these things in your church. To be a Puerto Rican, to be of Spanish descent, and to say that you can't dance is like removing some of your humanity. But we've been taught that there's a culture that is driving, and it's not red versus blue, it's not black versus white, it's a majority culture saying, this is the way church ought to be, fall in. Fall in. And God's like, I'm not about that. I'm, I'm not about you becoming less Chinese, less African, less Dominican, less Korean, stepping into the space. I'm about restoring that which is in you helping you to see more of Jesus in your culture, not removing your culture. 
Robert Guerrero, who leads a church up in the Washington Heights, he said for years and years he was taught by a majority culture that this is the way Christianity was supposed to be. And he felt like, I'm becoming less Dominican every day. And now he's doing salsa classes with his, with his wife and leading others in salsa lessons up in, the, up in the Washington Heights. And he feels like, I am more Christian and more Dominican than I've ever been in my entire life. To be a reconciler is to say, we need to learn to celebrate our differences. And how do we do that? We build windows. Because a window says, I can look in. And instead of building a wall saying we are separate, we are different, I learned to see the similarities in the things that we're doing. See, the Western Christians, again, being uncomfortable. And again, you come into the space, right? Come into the space. And what, what, what God is trying to get us to understand is these differences. Jesus creating one new humanity that we learn to see the humanness in each of us. Someone's come in the space and... I actually like it a little more now. It, it never really made me uncomfortable, but I like it a lot more now, especially being in this space, is, well, I'll be preaching, or I won't be preaching, or Pastor Gus will be preaching, and we'll hear, amen. And some of you, like, get a little, like, Ugh, you know? <laughs> being reminded, African-American folks were being told to be quiet in every other space for generations. Generations being told you can't say anything. Fall in, say nothing. So if, 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 if you want to say amen in this space, glory to God. Glory to God. We need to be uncomfortable in that space, right? I need to be uncomfortable in that space because certain people come into the space being told, say nothing. Keep quiet. For others, this idea of Korean, the Korean prayer. Have you ever been in a Korean service where everyone's praying? Have you ever been in those spaces? It can feel very disorienting, right? Like they're like, okay, we're going to pray for a few minutes. And it's like not like one of these things where we all take turns. Like, no, it's like we go. And everyone's just like praying and praying and praying. And like, when does this stop? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? And everyone's just like praying all over the place. Being reminded that for generations, they lived in a society where they were strictly told what to do and not to do. Strictly told, this is acceptable and this is not acceptable. And now there's a space where they're being welcomed in space and saying, let it loose, pray. But we're told again, we live in a majority culture, so do it this way, do it this way. The Western Christian mindset, we need to learn that instead of being uncomfortable, we need to lean in and say, let me learn about what you're doing. The new humanity is to celebrate our differences, to see that we, there's a reason that someone loves Yankees. I mean, I don't understand it because they have more money than everybody else. But I want to I want to understand it, right? I want to If you've ever read the Bible with a woman, if you're a man and you see like I just don't see the Bible the way you see it and that's good for us. Good for us. So lastly, what I want us to understand is the, how do we get there? This seems very difficult right? because it's uncomfortable. Like how do we learn to navigate these differences? What we have to, lastly, to be a community that builds God's way means we need to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. Spirit-filled and spirit-led. And so Paul tells us this again twice in this, in this text. He says that this idea of you now have one spirit, access to the Father by one spirit. Through, now you Gentiles who are far off are now brought near and into relationship with God by the Spirit who now dwells in you and dwells among you. 
So how do we do this? In the midst of our differences, things that make us uncomfortable, right? Things like, oh, this bothers me. How do we do that? We practice the fruits of the Spirit together. We learn to be gentle and patient. This is not easy. I, I tell people this and I'm reminded every time I say it. If Jesus, if, if following Jesus was easy, he wouldn't have had to die. This is why we need the Spirit of God because naturally I'm not going to want to do this. You do something I don't like, I'm going to step back. This is like the cancel culture, right? You say something on Facebook I don't like, unfriend. We are done, right? Now, again, we have to exercise wisdom, right? When people are talking crazy stuff and they're tempting us, again, I understand, but like they just say something you don't like, like we can still be friends. Why? Because we follow the same Savior. We believe in the same Jesus, right? At the end of the day, he's reconciled you to me and us to him. So it's this, we need to recognize that like it's about... What, what Rich Philotus says, wonderful pastor and queen says, we need to grow in our offendability because we're patient with one another because the spirit of God is teaching us that instead of speaking up in this moment, maybe I need to learn or to listen or to receive. Instead of judging or dismissing or talking down, I need to think about the words I'm going to say. I need to be slow to speak. Maybe there's a time when I do need to speak that I've been offended because you have talked down or demeaned me as a person or because of my gender or my experience. I need to speak up in that moment, but I need to do it in love. We live in a crackback culture. So I say my piece, I walk away, and I let them deal with the mess. No, Jesus says I lean in, I learn from, because what I want to do is I actually want to speak truth and life and hope into that person. Ken Sandy writes this great book on reconciliation work says that if I'm glad to go and share correction with that person, I'm probably disqualified from doing it. I should be doing it because I want them to be better. Them to be better. To reconcile us, to build harmony among us, to build a relationship because it's saying, you hurt me in that moment, but you know what I want? I don't want others to experience that hurt. I want us to be reconciled and you to be better the next time. Reconciliation is costly. It cost Jesus' life. His life. We get the Spirit because Jesus gave up his life for us. It says twice, three times, verse 13, verse 14, and verse 16, he shed his blood, his body was broken. By his death, the hostility is done away with. How do we enjoy this reconciliation? Jesus gave himself for us. How are we brought into relationship? We're not brought into relationship because we come from the same place. We're all in recovery. We all live in the same neighborhood. We all speak the same language. We all like the same sports teams. We all dress the same. No, we're brought into a space where mysteriously the world will look in and say, how on earth are these people gathering together? How on earth are these people gathering together? And the answer is simple. Jesus, where he builds the bridge between these places so we learn to understand and listen to one another so we can help each other to be more human. That's what Jesus wants to do, to restore our humanity. Not to squash our humanity, not to dismiss our humanity, not to make us all the same, to celebrate our differences. 
Because that's what humanity is. God saying, I don't want everyone to be the same. I've drawn everyone from all nations, all tribes, so we can learn to celebrate how grand and glorious and beautiful and diverse God is. God is. So reconciliation is about resting in Jesus finally. I have to trust that he will do that work. He will do that work. I can't force someone to join my camp. I can't change someone's mind. Jesus did the work. He will bring the peace. He breaks down the walls. Because he did that for me. When I was hostile towards God, when I was not looking for him, he came to me. When I thought I knew the way, he opened my blind eyes. When I thought I had life figured out, he put me on my butt. Right? That's what God did. And so God has to do that work. It's not, I'm going to argue people into the kingdom. I'm going to argue people into my way. I'm going to just stand here until you agree that I'm right. I'm going to bring this situation before Jesus and say, how do we need to change about how I see myself, how I see them, how God sees us, how God sees this situation. True humanity is experienced as we come to Jesus together. And so we want to offer this to a watching world that says, you're either for me or you're against me. You either like me or you don't. And Jesus is like, I offer something different. True hope, true community, true belonging, true unity found in people that would not relate to one another otherwise other than the redeeming, saving work of Jesus. We are doing this. We are experiencing this, but we have to continue in this work to recognize that there's a watching world that's experiencing just so much hostility. And Jesus came to help us be reconcilers. It's like, to close, I just think about this idea of, it's like um, when you go to a, a, a play or you go to a concert, right? And there's the idea of harmony, right? The idea of harmony. And I remember years and years and years ago, I was a youth, I was a youth pastor, youth worker. And we didn't have a youth, we didn't have a worship team to do the retreat. And so it was me and one of my workers who had to do the retreat. And he's tone deaf. He's great, great pianist, but he's tone deaf, right? So if he got out key, it's over. So I can't sing. You don't want that. So I was following him, right? And so he goes off key, I go off key, and you know how it goes, right? Everyone's like, uh, this is not going well, right? But our mics were also super low, so I couldn't necessarily hear however, how I sounded, how he sounded. I just knew like something was off, right? But if we're singing the same song, right? If we're singing the same song, it's a beautiful song. But if we all get into our space and we're singing our own songs, right? This is the song we need to sing. This is the song we need to sing. It's a little off. Or it can be way off. Jesus has one song. It's called Him. He's the song. And we come together to celebrate what He's done and who He is. So we can sing that song to a watching world saying there is hope. And His name is Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for how you have already brought us to yourself.
Help us to love you in new and fresh ways. Help us to admit that we have judged, diminished, assumed. Help us to change the way that you see us, that we see each other. Help us to move into being a place of reconciliation, of harmony, of hope, as we love each other in the midst of our differences. Holy Spirit, we need you in that. There are things that we do that bother each other. And we need to bring those things to you. We need to say, Jesus, change me. Change me. We thank you for just your, your patient love with us as we make a mess of our relationship with you. That you're kind and loving. And you would offer us the opportunity to extend that to others. Help us to do that in fresh and new ways, we pray. Jesus, in your precious name.